Tangent Tank, Solving the Housing Crisis, a Tangent Original Series. This Tangent Tank dives into the world of prop tech companies tackling the housing affordability and supply crisis. Join our panel of judges, Jeffrey Berman, partner at Camber Creek, Zach Ahrens, co-founder at Metaprop, and prop tech entrepreneur Edward Cohen, as we ask the tough questions and challenge each founder and evaluate their startups based on innovation, potential impact, and scalability. You'll listen firsthand from the founders themselves as they share their stories of determination and resilience. 1.8 billion people around the world do not have adequate housing. Housing affordability reached an all-time historic low in the US as over 10 million renters spend over 50% of their income on housing. Amidst these challenges, there is hope. Across the world, we're seeking startups that leverage technology and talent to tackle this crisis head-on. If you are a passionate founder, please apply by emailing your company's deck or video to tangentcommunity at gmail.com. Hi, welcome to Tangent. I'm Edward Cohen. Hi there. This is Jeffrey Berman, partner at Canberra Creek. And this is Zach Ahrens, increasingly looking more and more like Jeffrey Berman every day, moving increasingly into my discomfort zone. <laughs> Today on Tangent, we have Daniel Dorfman, co-founder of Roots, a community-inspired real estate investment fund aiming to help 1 million people generate wealth through residential investments. Hi, Daniel. Where does this podcast find you? Hey, Edward. I am based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. Daniel, you and the Roots team are working to democratize access to real estate investments. Tell us your, your origin story. What's your pitch? What's your business? Yeah, so uh, my background's in the real estate investment space and uh, retail space. And over the last 13 years, I've kind of watched as the industry has kind of pushed more and more people out of the purchasing bucket and into the renting bucket. And that gap continues to get larger. And so when looking at what the available options were out there, we saw an opportunity to create a product and portfolio that is accessible to all. And that helps not only the investor build wealth, but the resident build wealth. And we've created Roots Investment Community to do that. And are excited to share it with you guys. Very cool. Okay, so when you mean helping people, who are you trying to help? Who are your investors? Who do you target as residents? And where are you operating today? We are operating in Atlanta, Georgia. The fund has 48 properties in it today. We've raised a little bit over $11 million since uh, launching in 2021. Our target investor is anybody who, one, is looking to be in the real estate market or have that wealth building capability, but doesn't necessarily have that down payment for their first home. And the other pieces, maybe you don't have your down payment, the 20% requirement to buy your first investment home, right? And so our investors tend to be in that 80 to 200K earner space, and everyone's able to access our fund for as little as $100. I'm going to interrupt you right now. Uh, I need to say one thing uh, to make very clear to our listeners. This is not a solicitation for investment. To be very clear, there is no gun jumping that is happening on this podcast. That being said, when you say investor, are you talking about somebody who is 
buying a home for another person or an investor is actually the person that's going to live in the home? So in our world, it's actually both. So we've created a Reg A REIT. And so anybody can invest. So if you live in our homes or not, you can invest. But for our residents, it's a different type of program. So I know you guys are in the industry. I think you guys probably understand the needs of a resident or a renter more than anybody. But in Atlanta, and, and we're pretty similar across the country, the average renter has about $600 lifetime savings, has about $82 at the end of the month to be able to save for their home. You know, I don't know how you would do that at $82. And so our program is designed to bring the resident in as a partner and not as a tenant and to reward them, incentivize them for helping us take care of the property. At the end of the day, the resident really is the person who determines your cash flow, right? Like the location's amazing and that appreciation's great. So let me just unpack this because I'm, I'm, I'm new to your concept. So first of all, you're trying to solve an affordability problem, which is, hey, person X has a relatively small amount of money at the beginning and an even smaller amount of money at the end of the month because of expenditures, rent, whatever. You want to help them get into a home. So you say, well, ordinarily, I'm going to, I'm going to use somewhat arbitrary numbers, but ordinarily you would need, let's say this person was buying a $300,000 home. I don't know if that's the average price of the, of actually, what is the average price of the homes that you are, that you're targeting? That's, that's right around. We're, we're about 280. Okay. Let's, let's call it 300 to make the math simple for an old man like me. So 300,000, you need 20%. So you need 60,000 bucks. And this person does not have $60,000. So you say to this person, I assume you're doing some kind of credit check to see like, hey, you might not have a lot of money, but you've paid your bills on time, et cetera. And we're going to help put you in this house. Home ownership is awesome. But that American dream of home ownership and owning your own home is not exactly in our opinion, the best situation for a lot of people who are going into it with 3%, 5% down. What we want to create is a wealth building asset that you can take and be a part of. And that's just via the portfolio. So as a resident, when you move into one of our homes, you are an investor in the portfolio of homes ah. from day one. So it's not a rent to own model. It's an own while you rent model. To rent to invest. Correct. So can you just clarify for our listeners? I know Mr. Berman's an acronym master, but most of our listeners probably aren't familiar with a reggae REIT. I'm not familiar with them personally. I'm going to showcase some vulnerability. I think you've invested in reggae REITs. I'm sure I have. Everybody, Zach Aarons knows exactly what a reggae REIT is. But but they are they are most likely different than a standard multifamily REIT that these people might be buying in their in their Schwab or their Robinhood accounts, right? An Avalon Bay uh, type of REIT. So can you explain to our listeners what a reggae REIT is, how the structure is, and then how this rent to invest model actually works? Yeah, so the Reg A REIT is a filing that with the SEC, it gives everyone the ability to partake and purchase units in the fund. And the require you don't have to be an accredited investor. The requirements are basically that you cannot invest more than 10% of your annual salary or net worth into our fund. But the idea of why we went to go get this classification is we 
do want to grant access to everybody. And we want to do it in a way that makes the most sense for all of our investors. And so our accredited investors love it because we are including everybody and making a big impact and they're seeing great returns. And our residents get to be involved, right? From day one, we do not take any security deposit. Their initial deposit is actually an investment into our portfolio. And do you provide them with a financial dashboard or is this through their Schwab account? How does it all work? It's all through our proprietary platform online, through our website, investwithroots.com. I, I think, hold on, I think I missed something. And again, this is because of my old age and also maybe unstable internet connection. So you have this $300,000 house and you've got, let's say, let's say you've got 10 of them, right? Your fund is 10 homes, $3 million for the first home that you reggae uh, crowdfunded. Awesome. And I am Johnny Renter. And I'm, first of all, are you setting prices based on market one? And then if you're setting prices based on market, how is that rent going? I'm not understanding how that's creating yield for the investor renter resident. Got it. So on the first question, as far as like rents, our rents usually land in like the 55 to 65% of the rents around the area for our homes. All of the rent collected still goes to the fund, right? So like when you're renting the home, all of the investors still benefit from the rent collected each month. The difference is that at the end of the quarter, when we do a disbursement of all of the revenue or the profit, the investor and resident are one and the same, right? The resident gets a piece of that and gets to be part of that. What piece? Whatever the unit count is at that time. So when they... Well, what if, what if things go bad? I've been Jeff Berman's roommate and holy smokes. So Jeff once stayed in an Airbnb with me, and let's just say the HVAC system was not exactly okay after we left this place. Who's, who's on the hook? Who's on the hook if somebody breaks all of it? And let's say there's no disbursements, heaven forbid, at the end of the quarter, but actually a capital call. You're telling me you're going to make a capital call to the renters for a gigantic HVAC capital expenditure? Holy guacamole, we're in trouble. We don't actually make capital calls at the REIT. All repairs and maintenance are reserved for and uh, warranted by the property management company. And so at the end of the day, this structure is no different than any other single family renting asset. The only difference is that instead of a traditional security deposit, their deposit or their, their initial investment it goes into the fund to give them a, an opportunity to grow wealth with the fund. Pardon the interruption, PTI. So let's just use Zach's example for a second. I'm an investor in your fund. Forget the resident for a moment, because I, I, I get that. Because if you're a renter, right, and your HVAC breaks, depending on what the contract says, that's what the rule is. If it says, hey, renter doesn't pay anything, even if I had to crank that HVAC down to a polar because somebody ate spicy guacamole, Zach, and somebody had digestion issues, Zach, that we just needed it polar cold. Uh, by the way, none of this happened. I've, I've never seen an Airbnb in my life, nor would I, but God, I love you, Zach Aarons. So fine, renter, I get it. They're not going to have to pay it. But if I'm in an investor group and something breaks, let's just say the warranty situation that you have with Jory Rammer's company, Super, is out, or Jory, that plug was for you, buddy, or the property manager, whatever. Somebody's got to pay for those repairs. That's going to come from the fund, 
correct? Well, no, because they already are reserved for. So all of the repairs, we have a, a, a pool of capital. Oh, wait a second. Imagine you exceed the reserve. Like, <laughs> yeah. How long have you been a landlord? A long time. How many times? I can tell you I've been a landlord a long time. I've exceeded my reserve a really, really, really frequent amount of time. Unfortunately, maybe I'm a shitty landlord. Well, actually, but you know what's interesting about this, Mac? What's interesting here is I don't know what percentage your reserves are but let's say you have actually a large reserve and you decide hey i'm going to put that into some kind of t-bills like right now you can actually earn money on money so so if if, if you have a, a artificially large reserve and you're earning revenue on that uh i don't know maybe but but conceptually speaking suppose your reserves run out. just i want to make sure that, that everybody understands that there could be a capital call to the fund, or you might say, hey, listen, we don't want to call capital, but there are going to be no distributions for the next 16 quarters. In theory, right, if the reserve is exceeded and the company that warranties the reserve is bankrupt and goes out of business, mm -hmm. yes, you are correct. Okay. And how long how, how long are your, are your warranty rela relationships typically? They're in perpetuity. To this, to this business because it's warranted by the property manager who's hosting all of the, the capital. And what's the cash on cash yield been and how does that differ? Like how does that exceed the cash on cash yield of your sort of standard apartment read uh, with comparable properties? So the standard return on these types on our you know category REIT is between nine and 11%. Um, our cash on cash yield historically has been 6%. And our growth has been 16 over the last 12 months and over 29% since the inception in July of, of 21. Of rent growth? That's rent growth? No, just that's rent, rent and appreciation. But how do you have appreciation? Are you getting the assets constantly appraised? Because he, here's, here's the rub on this business model, right? If you want to provide a great return to your investors, you have to guarantee rent growth. If you want to ensure to your renters who are also investors that you're giving them a good deal on your rent, you mentioned 50 to 60% of comparable rents in the area, right? They need by definition, a good deal. So when a contractionary event happens and there's effectively no rent growth, you're not gonna see any appreciation in the property. So if you have a lower cash yield, I would argue that in that particular year, when you have rent contraction, you're actually better off probably invested in a standard apartment REIT than in this Reg A REIT. Is that accurate? So I disagree in that we actually go into these residents that are coming on board with us are excited about the growth. They understand that there's going to be a 5% increase every year in their rents. And we have no pushback on that because they are part of the partnership and they get to grow their deposit with us and grow their investment with us. From a rent contraction standpoint, we're in a better spot because residents are lining up to be a part of this growth. That makes sense. So let's just be clear about how psychologically that works. You're locking renter in for, let's just keep the math simple, $1,000 a month instead of $2,000 a month down the block. And because of that, and they have this equity in the REIT, they're actually excited to pay a 5% increase because you need to live in there a lot of years before 1,000 increasing 5% before that 5% compounds to effectively double to bring it back up to market, right? And that's 
the argument where you are effectively versus your competition insulated from a macro rent contractionary market because you have differently and correctly incentivized your tenants. Correct. And I do want to point out that, so the program is called Live In It Like You Own It. And it does a few things for us other than just from a confidence boosting standpoint. So the first thing is it, we are seeing less vacancy. Um, people are renewing at a very high rate. They're referring friends at a very high rate and the vacancy is less. The other thing that we're seeing, because so here's what happens with the program. If you meet the live in it like you own it criteria, which is pay rent on time, be a good neighbor. So we have a lot of duplexes, triplexes, that situation, you know, no noise complaints, that kind of thing. And then the third thing we ask, which is very important in this asset class, is we ask them to do a video once a quarter of the inside and outside of their property and fill out a maintenance survey. And I'm sure you guys have owned in this single family space. You know, a lot of times what happens, you move somebody in, you don't see the unit for three years. All of a sudden you're doing the walkthrough and there's mold and, you know, I got to be like, hey, Edward, what's, what's going on the ceiling? And he's like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really bothering me. I didn't want to bother you. And yeah, that's it. I was like, well, that's, you know, it's mold remediation. Now we've got a $3,500 bill. And so the videos stand as our walkthroughs of the property once a quarter and they help a lot, right? We can find $100 fixes that would have been thousands of dollars later. And it's also free content marketing. Exactly. But they probably, you probably have their, their permission to repurpose it, right? And then you can... Absolutely. And the other piece of that is our, so our turn costs right now. And we have, again, we're, we're early, right? We've only been at this a little bit under two years. But our turn costs are a little bit under $1,000 right now. The average turn cost in this industry is over 3,500. So yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard 3,500 as well. Yeah. yeah, they're taking care of their properties. And it's amazing to watch what happens from their standpoint too, right? Like as a person who's been pretty much beat up by every landlord they've ever had uh, in typical standing, standing, to be able to see a dashboard with that investment amount going up, to be a part of the model and not a part of the problem has been a, a, a huge thing for us as well. So um, I just want to kind of point those pieces out of why it makes our investment into the REIT from a commercial standpoint, a more consistent returner as well. Today's episode is brought to you in collaboration with Dotted, the all-in-one commercial real estate asset management platform that can help you streamline your business operations. Dotted brings together leasing, CapEx, valuation, debt, and powerful reporting into one place, simplifying asset management into a single source of truth for all your asset data and team performance. With Dotted, your team can save hours a day by connecting every data point without jumping around between different solutions and communication channels. What sets Dotted apart is its commitment to protecting your buildings and empowering asset managers with complete data ownership. Your data is never sold nor shared in a marketplace, ensuring that your business is secure and your information is safe. Dotted unlocks visibility, clarity, and efficiency for your assets, processes, and teams to drastically reduce personal costs, increase data integrity, and optimize assets for resilient long-term growth. With Dotted, you can have a complete control over your business operations and make data-driven decisions that lead to success. To learn more, book a demo with their team at Dotted.com. That's D-O-T-T-I-D.com.
something I find fascinating is that you know you flip the script here in terms of the the incentives and how the residents really have you know a, a participation way here. They have skin in the game, which is generating less churn, less vacancy. You're essentially adding a marriage at at the beginning of, of the rental term, which means you're getting less turnover costs and less vacancies. I mean, you're even getting renters slash investors to send you a self made video walk through the apartment, which is, you know, historically, and, and even nowadays for single family operators, you know, please, if we have any listeners now comment on this, but I mean, walking the property even once a year, coordinating that with a renter or even the renter being open to someone from the company walking their property is just, you know, not trivial at all. So in this case, you've completely changed the incentives here. You're showing that you're all on the same page. And I think that shows strength in the in the form of the referrals that you're getting, right? If you can really, uh, you know, one of my next questions was going to be, you know, it seems like you found a model that is working in Atlanta. You know, how are you going to replicate it, scale it outside Atlanta? You know, even though Atlanta is one of the hardest, if not the hardest single family home market in the country. Yeah. Thinking, how are you going to replicate it and scale it outside Atlanta? Absolutely. So our plan is to not own, we will probably not own buildings or property outside of the Southeast. We'll be focused in the Atlanta area, maybe possibly into Chattanooga, Raleigh, those, you know, these Southeastern Sunbelt markets. But what we have developed is a way for our technology to get layered onto other apartment owners and another in other landlords' property set stacks. So the idea is, yeah, maybe you don't own a piece of the building that you live in in New York, but your landlord is just giving you an opportunity to build wealth as long as you complete our little, like you live in it like you own it. And yeah, you own in Atlanta, but a lot of people buy in Atlanta, right? And uh, who live in New York, a lot of people buy in Atlanta who live in LA. And so the idea is to offer the opportunity for everyone to be able to build wealth through this asset class. And so far, we've seen great results. And you said you've been doing this for two years? The fund started in July of 21. Is it evergreen or do you have like specific vintages? It's evergreen in terms of, it's not a closed fund. There's not a target of closing the fund. The opportunity is to mimic home ownership and mimic home investments. Yep. Are there redemptions? Yes, absolutely. So there's liquidity offered every quarter. Up to 5% of the fund can be redeemed each quarter. And each quarter, we do a re-evaluation of the net asset value. You're running this like a traditional investment vehicle that we'd see um, operating. But correct me if I'm wrong, you're also raising money into your opco, correct? No, we are not right at the, at the moment. Not right now, but in yes. general, you are. So why? And the reason I'm asking that is I've invested in a few funds that are just real estate funds similar to yours. The Opco is just the managers. And they basically said, this is what we're putting together. And why is there value for an investor beyond obviously? Understood, understood. So yeah, I do want to make clear, we we are not raising capital into that Opco right now. But that Opco owns the entire tech stack and the entire product that will be placed on top or will be offered to landlords to be able to access this program and access our REIT. But Jeff's asking, what's the secret sauce of the tech, right? What is it about the user interface that's that's different and better? Where does the leverage come from as it relates to the product itself, right? Because we've seen a lot of these real estate investment managers, even if they're tech enabled, their opco only trades at 
it trades at an EBITDA multiple. It still never trades at a at a at a revenue multiple. Exactly, and and you're talking to two of the longest standing VCs in this space. And the question I have is twofold. The first is, one, are you just to make sure I understand? Are you saying, hey, we're a venture appropriate business because, or no, no. We're never going to ask venture capitalists for money. We don't need it because this is a simple business. Yeah, we built some tech. We own it. And we're going to create multiple funds. And we're also going to give other landlord groups, if I understood you correctly, the ability to monetize their homes in a similar way. And they're going to pay us a licensing fee for that. We've spent $200,000, $500,000, million developing this tech, but it's all ours. Which is it? Are you trying to become venture backable? We are not looking for venture capital into the opco. We are looking for investment into our fund, which we believe will allow us to do whatever we want. So the goal is let's grow the fund business. Hopefully it spins off enough cash into the opco that we can continue to reinvest to improve our technology. And maybe we can raise a little bit of money from um, family offices, more patient capital that doesn't need a hundred extra turn. Um, but we're really prioritizing growing the sort of real estate reg A rate management platform. This this I like, even though this isn't exactly what we normally, like we don't normally talk to entrepreneurs. And this is a great lesson for anybody who's listening. Zach and I deal with this constantly where we see and hear interesting concepts like this one. And I would have said to you, why in the hell are you raising money into your opco? And you're Daniel, you said, I don't need to. That's the right answer. Not every quote unquote prop tech or tech enabled business is venture capital appropriate. It is just not. Daniel here is looking to raise multiple funds and become very wealthy as a fund manager, which is great. And he's doing so with a investment thesis that he's hoping will trickle down to other people that are that are investing alongside with him. Whether or not that's going to generate the type of returns that will get people excited, I haven't dug into the numbers, obviously. I don't believe Zach or Edward have either, but it's interesting nonetheless. But the lesson here for our listeners is this is a really good idea. It seems to be a really good idea, and it doesn't need venture capital funding. I want to double underline that. And speaking just, you know, Metaprop invests in software operating businesses, right? We don't invest in real estate. We don't invest in REITs. Just speaking personally, though, I would say because I believe the platform is enabling empowerment, accessibility, and affordability, maybe not in the traditional sense of like building more LIHTC units or whatever, but but I, I believe that firmly. I would be willing as an, as an investor with my personal money to accept a lower cash-on-cash cash yield versus say a traditional REIT to be part of this psychologically, emotionally. And then also I do believe your thesis that the properties might be kept nicer and hence I might have better appreciation when I ultimately want my liquidity than I might in a traditional REIT. I think all our listeners, you know, private REITs don't have as much liquidity as public REITs. So just um, listeners, do your due diligence, right? Anytime, you know, private REITs sort of in general are notoriously uh, illiquid uh, asset types, uh, right, for, for traditional retail investors. However, I personally would accept a the idea of a lower yield for higher appreciation and financial empowerment. 
as a concept. And I agree, I don't think this is a business that necessarily should be seeking uh, a venture. I think it's a business that can effectively bootstrap to build some sort of really, and you're already doing it, some sort of very interesting moat around acquiring these customers, interacting with your tenants, down the road, enabling landlords to spin this up quickly themselves. And then also importantly, the dashboard for managing the investments, right? Like what properties do I own? Let me get information about them. Can I quickly pull my K1? Like basic sort of administrative stuff as well, right? But if you can succeed technologically within those three categories, I think you'll have a sufficient moat where the operating business is is worth something. Let's talk about that. So let's now ask the question that Zach thought I was asking a few minutes ago, because he is always ahead of his time. And that's actually true, folks. Zach Aarons is always ahead of his time. We're all just trying to catch up. This is an interesting concept. It sounds like it is easily replicable. So what is the secret sauce, which by the way, is not a bad thing. Think about it. There are hundreds, if not thousands of property managers. There are hundreds of large real estate owners. There's no problem with something being replicable in many, many markets. The question is, what is your secret sauce that's going to make Daniel Dorfman a billionaire if you are not one already and all of your investors, tons, well, I don't know, he might be, uh, tons and tons of money. I want to hear that side of it. Like what gave you this confidence? Like, hey, this is the right way to do it. Maybe this is a ta tangent tank. Yeah, this is awesome. So basically, no, not a billionaire yet. That's what we're chasing, right? I love it. Here's the thought. Here's the thing. When you talk about replicable product, totally. You could think you could, right? Absolutely. There's a couple hurdles. One, reggae is not easy to get. You're audited by the SEC. You have a lot of different hoops to jump through. You have to really be tucked in and buttoned up and you have to be willing to do the work. If we wanted to just spin up a fund that, you know, owned real estate, that'd be fine. We'd do a reg D and it'd be easy, right? Um, the reg A is hard to do. That's part one. Part two is the way our platform interacts with our residents and the way the platform interacts with our investors makes it very easy and accessible to use. And so you can't just build that overnight. And the idea of landlords wanting to give ownership back to their renters when they haven't bought the property with that in mind is challenging because then you're going back to your investors and saying, Hey, I, I want to do this. And they're like, no, you can't. We, the returns are, we're set. Right. So all of our buying our secret sauce is how we buy properties. We've been doing it for a very long time. Uh, the average property we buy and the roots fund, level is 11% under market at the time we buy it. And so we feel very confident in the way that we buy properties and the network that we have here in Atlanta for sourcing our deals. And so that's part of it too. And in our mind, the idea is absolutely, we want you to replicate it and we'll give you the technology stack to do it in a way that doesn't hamper your returns and just gives these people the opportunity to actually invest in real estate while they rent. Let me tell you something. Has everyone on this call seen Old School? Yeah. Okay. Actually, I might be quoting the wrong movie. Oh no, it was it was uh, it was Billy Madison, where he says something and he, and he goes he goes that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This that and I'm, we're all dumber for listening. This is the exact opposite. That was fantastic. That was that was a really good answer because most people would say. Oh, well, we got this proprietary tech stack, this, that, and the other. And you said, eh, we've built this. It's really hard. You can do it if you work really hard. 
And by the way, we want you to do it. Just use our tech. I love that answer. Zach, I don't know about you, but if I could like put an emoji on the screen would be like two thumbs up, that would be that would be great. We gotta we gotta get into the discomfort zone. This is too much of a of a love fest. No, so just one thing last I wanted to point out before we move on to the discomfort zone is that uh as Zach pointed out, even private REITs, you know, they may be illiquid or they may have to deal with similar renter issues. But in this case, you know, even even the invitation homes of the world are looking to anticipate maintenance issues. How do they cut operation costs? And in this case, Daniel, who's been dealing with regarites and the Buffalo soldiers, he has managed to create a network where the renters care about the homes because they're investors, uh, which means it's already going to have a lower requirement for uh, a reserve perhaps, or a lower likelihood of impactful maintenance issues along the way. Anyway, Daniel, so you've been too comfortable there. You want to move to the discomfort zone. Daniel, what's one perspective, one opinion that you've changed your mind about recently? What information made you pivot, made you evolve how you were thinking about the issue? Tell us. Yeah. So what comes with running this type of program is a lot of times you get a resident who has never been really even treated like a human being in some of these cases. And so what we've really had to like button up and focus on is what's the languaging? How do you build trust? Right. This program works. We did have eight, we had 80. 4% of our residents get the full rebate, full-blown work, like every 100% of the program last quarter, which is awesome. But we got 15% who didn't, right? And so in my mind, success is at 90 plus, right? Like we need to figure out a way to communicate with these residents in a way that builds trust quickly and in a way that helps them support themselves, right? And you know, what happens in a lot of these things is it's a vicious cycle, right? You put your security deposit up. Our renters, workforce housing, don't even believe they're getting it back. They don't, it is not even a question in their mind. They say, you know, when we talk to people, you know, hey, we're a little bit different. We have the first own while you rent program. You're going to get to build wealth. And they're, you know, ah, sure. I'm not, I've never seen my security deposit before. I'm not getting it back now. And, you know, that part of it is, not exactly what I got into the business for, to be honest. We created this community because I was doing a lot of syndicated deals with people across the country. And, you know, one person's in one, one person's in another. This one does well, this one doesn't do well, whatever it might be. And we wanted to create this full access community product as we started really diving into it. Like, hey, if we give everybody access, why not the resident? Why not give the resident the ability to do this? And that's led us to the world where we're in now, which is part wealth it's not, I would not say wealth coach. I mean, but it's, it, there's a lot of the aspects in like the financial literacy space with these residents. That's, you know, been probably our biggest hurdle to overcome. Yeah. It, it, it sounds silly, but I, I had a student once who was uh, working on this in a, in a similar, something similar in, in just in one asset, more around uh, incentivizing residents uh, with with rent rebates for maintenance programs and stuff. And and one of the things he realized, it sounds silly because these are all grownups, but gamification does work. And you don't want too much competition because because people can get ornery, but some level of healthy competition amongst residents to have. I remember just when I was at summer camp, just you want to win 
the bunk inspection. You want to have, even though it's sort of counterintuitive to want to have the cleanest bunk when you're a 10 year old kid, they flip the script and gamify it and make you want that. And I think there are tried and true tricks now as it relates to mobile gaming that can be uh, leveraged uh, in, 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 in prop tech contexts that, that can actually take your levels up to that, you know, 95%. Yeah. And Zach, that's, that's awesome that you mentioned that we actually, we before, so last quarter, fourth quarter last year, we were 78%. And so, you know, we all sat around and we're like, what do we do to get them involved more frequently? And we started doing resident of the week because one of our team members was like, we're only calling these folks when bad news, right? Like most landlords, you only call them if you need something or you're pressing them for the video or whatnot. So we started doing this thing called resident of the week where we just, if you completed the program last quarter fully, we'll draw your name out of a hat. We'll send you lunch. We'll, you know, we sent a little care package, a little back book pack to, you know, one of our residents who had a kid kind of small touches, but the end result's been incredible. And I, I actually think that that's been a big driver because when we get the resident of the week, we send it to everybody. Hey, you know, Edward's the resident of the week this week. Great job, Edward. Way to, you know, build wealth with roots. Boom. And the response has been awesome from our residents. And to your point, it's like, how do we continue to create that program of like, oh, I want to do this. I want to earn these points. I want to be able to, you know, do these cool things. That process of building that community and building that trust has been a unique road to say the least, right? Because we just didn't have, I had the experience from a property manager standpoint, from a landlord standpoint, but not from a, hey, let's, let's really talk and let's, let's figure out like what this could do for your, you and your family long-term. So I don't know if that was uh, the, the a discomfort zone answer, but I'll allow it. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. It's a borderline, borderline, but it was great. It was excellent. Yeah, but not quite heretical. No, I mean, we've seen roommates or co-residents create companies in the past. We've seen co-investors create companies in the past. I would not be surprised if the community that you're uh, brewing here would develop into something uh, more because uh, in, in terms of the, the collaborations and the partnerships opportunities, these, these are people that are in the same boat. They're not only living in the same communities or living in the same network of homes, they're also co-investors. So I think there could be some incredible network effects there. Daniel, what dream partnership do you hope to form uh, to help bring roots to more investors in the market? Yeah, so I have two that I think are great avenues for us. One is uh, we're already currently in talks with the city of Atlanta. We're going to make the city of Atlanta, hopefully, the first place to offer homeowner or a piece of Atlanta ownership and investment to all of their city employees. That's one. So municipalities, I think, could be a really unique partnership for us in this growth because a lot of cities have their clerks, their firemen, their police officers, their teachers can't actually afford to live in the city that they teach in and protect. And then the other piece is, as we continue to look at the opportunity to help other landlords run this program or give their you know residents the ability to build wealth large landlord apartment complex owners is you know our other target you can't rattle this guy you're supposed to say somebody fun like Joan of Arc or somebody you know like you you he's way too polished can I do mine because I I think he's going to die soon he's very old but if I can do anything with Mel Brooks before he dies that's my dream 
collaboration. It doesn't matter what the subject is. It can be anything. I just have to spend time with that man before he dies. Jeff, I don't know if you know this or know who Mel Brooks is, but you know, I, growing up, I'm Jewish. I don't know if you knew that, but like for young Jewish boys growing up in New York City, Mel Brooks was like the most important person for us. With Mel Brooks, he wrote that uh, movie, History of... Something. Well, he's got a new TV show, History of the World Part Two. It's now on Hulu, but it's not good. It, like I, I it, it's unfortunately way, he's, you know, Mel, he's showing Mel his Brooks age with it. Listens to this podcast just oh, by saying shit. that, and I just insulted my idol. You insulted your idol, and now he is not going to. He's not going to do a collaboration. Nope. Well, then R Richard Bronson would probably be my collaboration partner. Wait, Richard, Richard Branson, Branson, Branson yeah. or Bronson? Branson or Charles Bronson? Branson. Branson. <laughs> My dream, if I can do a prop tech company with Charles Bronson, that would be second to Mel Brooks. Interesting fact about Charles Bronson, okay? So Paramount Studios, one of the most iconic lots in all of Hollywood. Okay, one of the gates, you've probably seen these pearly gates in a ton of films and everything, happens to be on Bronson Avenue. Charles had a different last name by birth that was totally unpronounceable. And they're like, we can't worse <laughs> and they were like we cannot put this film live death wish you know one was coming out they're like this can't come out and he's they're like you need a name and he's like well you know and he just looks up he's like how about bronson so anyway the gentleman's name who were we talking about before i got on a tangent oh richard branson <laughs> who, by the way, might listen to this podcast. Richard Branson, of all these people, is probably the most likely to do a collaboration with one of us. There's the no Wi-Fi necker, so I don't think Richard Branson is listening right now, but he downloads the podcast, though. He doesn't listen to live. Daniel, where can our listeners find and learn more about Roots? Investwithroots.com. That's our website. Check us out. Take a look at our resident program. Log in, toss 100 bucks in. But again, not a solicitation or investment on this podcast. Daniel Dorfman, co-founder of Roots, helping 1 million people achieve returns through real estate investments. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for coming and telling us your story. We are rooting for you and the Roots team. Oh, we are rootsing for you. Uh, rootsing. Thank you all. Thank you, guys. It was great meeting you and great hanging out. Thanks for tuning in to Tangent Tank, solving the housing crisis. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review Tangent and share this episode with a friend. This series is edited by Daniel Mora and produced by me, Edward Cohen. Remember, collaboration is our superpower, so stay curious and always be learning. <laughs>